You know, oftentimes I'll stay up until midnight or 1 a.m. making sure that presentation is perfect that I have to give in the morning, that I know my lines, so to speak. In the morning, when I give the presentation, everyone loves it. And, they, you know, they think, ah, you're a natural. When in reality, you know, I, I prepared seven hours for a 15-minute presentation. Welcome to the Challenger Podcast. This is your host, Peter Gay. I'm a Waterloo and Berkeley trained engineer working in the Bay Area. Now armed with an MBA from Haas Business School, I want to take on the world. But deep down inside, I'm struggling with anxiety about my career and my life. I'm seeking help by talking to some of the most extraordinary people that I have met, and let's find out together how they've navigated their lives. I've learned from their stories of how to persevere through the hard times and how to celebrate the good times. Hopefully, this can help you find an even keel as you're navigating your world. Hi, everyone. So today I have my good friend, Lon John, who has worn many hats in his professional career. I think he started as a scientist, engineer, now senior manager at a, at a medical company. And he's taking a lot of bold steps in his career to advance. And, you know, recently had the great courage to take some time to really introspect and then find his motivation for his next journey. And I think I also look to you as just like someone who has a lot of innate confidence in yourself and your future prospects is really encouraging for me to sort of be in your presence almost. And like, uh, when, when I, I want to go back into your some of your past history. Can you let me know if there's any experiences and events that you have endured that was really highlights of your career or personal life that other people may not know at first? Very interesting question. I mean, thanks for the great introduction, Peter. <laughs> I had the pleasure of getting to know you over the last year and a half, and I've always enjoyed it. We've done a lot of different stuff together. <laughs> um, you know, the way that I kind of approach it is very different over the last few years. And you're right, in the last year has been much more of a metamorphosis than any other point in my life. I mean, I'm 31 now, and I think we're around that age where... Yeah. People are really looking at what's the next chapter of their life looking like and realizing that you do have a kind of long life, but also at the same time, you have a short one. It's a scary question. For me, that definitely had some you know professional experiences that have been really transformative. You know, Early on in my career, right, maybe when I was around 25, um, I was really in this phase of trying to still prove myself to the people around me and to myself that uh, I could succeed professionally. I was very much focused on titles, pay, that sort of thing. I worked at a small medical device company in Irvine, California. You know, I was put in a position to manage a lot of people, something like 20 people. And as a young guy, there was a lot of things I had to learn. I focused on a lot of things. And in some ways, I felt like I, I didn't realize I was focusing on the wrong things until much later. And this really helped me become more of a, a people, you know. So I was very focused early on on you know, impressing the uh, engineering directors, launching new products creating the perfect PowerPoint and the perfect Excel. Mm. As you know, I love Excel. Mm -hmm. I spent about three years there and I was laser focused on getting promoted from supervisor to being a manager. It just, it just really appealed to me. It just yeah. drew me. And that was my singular focus. I would work late nights, weekends. At the same time, I felt that I was ignoring a little bit of my team. And I had a lot of people who reported to me directly. One pivotal point was working over those three years around the two-year mark. I had been coaching uh, the lead who worked for me 
And this person, when I came in, just to set the stage, yeah, yeah. applied for the same job that I had applied for. So he yeah. was the lead. And the next step up for him was to be the supervisor. I applied and got the job from externally. So that's the dynamic we have coming in. Mm. And this guy is, is super nice, very hardworking, um, to, in some ways too hardworking. He gave everything to the company and, and they didn't see any value in him, the, the person who had made the hiring decision. So over two years, I worked with this guy every day, every weekend, every yeah. late night. This guy was there side by side. And I slowly over those two years built up his confidence, his people skills, his conflict negotiation, all those things. I, when I was after about two years, I was promoted to be the manager in that department. And I was able to promote him to be supervisor in my place. And everybody around knew that that was the right fit at that time. Whereas two years ago, he didn't even believe he was the right fit. You know, he kind of put his name in there, but he didn't really believe it. Obviously, I was elated that day that I was promoted. But what I'll probably remember for the rest of my life is how happy he was. He was so happy. He he cried. Right. And he, you know, he's like, no one has ever believed in me the way that you believed in me. That was something that stuck with me. And that's when I learned that it's not about the titles that I have. It doesn't matter what position you're in. What matters is how you use your position to help other people. And so ever since I've been, you know, reaching out to people who are in my department, outside my department, mentoring younger engineers, scientists, uh, manufacturing technicians, whatever they, wherever they are, and not just thinking about it from titles, but what you can do, how can you advocate for other people and mm. promote other people, right? I, I feel very fortunate to be where I am at, of course, but what you do with it, I think matters a lot more. So that, that's that been super transformative for me in you know, the last couple of years, um, you're not, not mattering so much to try to chase titles or things like that, but really how can you help people? Wow, that's such a powerful learning moment. Have you applied this kind of thinking to your personal life? I feel like at least in American culture, work and, and personal life kind of they intertwine a lot. And especially with working in uh, my own small business now, like that line becomes blurred even more because when I clock out from the nine to five, I'm still working like I am right now, right? I'm, I'm on call for uh, the escape. Yeah. So those lines do blur. And I feel that I don't really make a delineation between how I help people at work versus how I help people personally. I feel that one of the best ways that you can help people is to help them professionally as well. So a lot of my friends, as they're going through interviews, I'll often hop on pretty much every time. Every time I hear that someone is trying to interview for something, I'm going to yeah. hop on a Zoom call with them, do practice interviews, help them with their resume, help them find jobs. Many times I've asked friends to be involved with business ideas that we're starting just to, again to again to help them because it's a way for them to make money. It's a way for us to kind of work together and be friends and not necessarily coworkers, but yeah, it's just helping set people up financially. I still now, I think in the last year or so, I've been helping a local nonprofit that does youth employment services. So they do mock interviews, resume coaching for high school students in low income areas. And I live in a lower income area of Orange County. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of low income high schools around here. So I've been doing that, talking to people on Zoom, at the same time, going in high schools and dressing up in a suit, pretending to interview them for their first job and getting them set up for success. So I consider those very similar, those the personal and professional success. Wow. Wow. You're such a giver <laughs> where you're just yeah. 
giving back to friends community as much as you can and uh, yeah it all kind of really stems from your story about seeing the happiness that you could bring to others so that's a really good high point in your past what about is there any really really low points that you have encountered yeah I, i'll start with a professional one before i go into some sure. like maybe a personal one a professional one for example my very first people manager um, job. I I had I managed a team, a very small team, on the manufacturing floor. I definitely thought at that moment, as many young engineers do, that I was hot shit. You know, I just knew everything. I designed this product. I know everything about it. And of course, that was very much wrong. I didn't yet have a lot of people management experience, barely any. And there was a moment with uh, one of the ladies who worked there, and she was known to be a bit of a troublemaker as people would tell me before I joined and say, and I said, Hey, let me form my own opinion. My opinion was the same. This person (laughs) was definitely a a troublemaker, but there was a moment where something had gone wrong. Someone had made a mistake. I had asked that person if they had made a mistake or something had gone wrong and, and they denied it. And I, I didn't trust her. I pressed her to kind of like admit that she made a mistake so that we could fix it. And she wouldn't. And um, after talking to other folks, you know, talking to my boss, talking to people on the team, it was very obvious that that person had made a mistake, but they didn't want to admit it. What I realized after that point, it kind of blew up through the rest of the day with her going and, and talking to my manager and saying, you know, this person is me, is not treating her right, you know, not trusting her, basically mm-hmm. saying that she's lying. And while I never said those words, what really stuck out to me was that even though I didn't say, hey, you're lying. I don't trust you. We're never going to work well together. That's exactly what she heard. And from that moment on, you know, she, she did, she did the bare minimum or less than the bare minimum, uh, you know, for the next few months, because I had just totally obliterated her trust. And I, I thought I was doing a, a good job of, you know, finding the truth, getting to the right answer, doing what's right for, the product, right? And that's a very engineering thing, not ignoring the people element of it. And uh, yeah, I, le- I learned a big lesson about treating people. People don't care. Like even now, I don't remember the words. I don't remember what the problem was. People don't remember what you say to them. They just remember how you make them feel, whether they treat, whether someone treats you with respect, kindness. And again, everyone makes mistakes. I've definitely made mistakes like that or probably even worse. It took a while for me to realize that. And of course, many years later, I have much more clarity about it. But um, yeah, that person didn't deserve that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. That That's definitely a, a big mistake that I've learned from. Even when things go wrong, you, know, you, you still need to be able to say, I'm uh, managing that team. You still need to be able to trust me enough to come and admit that you have a mistake. It's not you're wrong. And uh, the only way forward is to admit that you're wrong because you suck. That's, that's not the way to go about it. Yeah. And from there, I learned it's always... No matter what you do, no matter what job, it's always a people job. That is, you know, your job is to take care of the people who work for you. It's easy to get caught up in the the moment and forget, you know, the impressions we live leave on people. You have to take a very sympathetic stance and um, be cautious and be intentional of the things you're saying. And anything that jumps out to you in your mind about things you've wronged your friends and family in the past. Totally. Would you yeah. like me to tell you? <laughs> I mean, I have 31 years to make mistakes. So I have a really good friend. 
I'll I'll call him uh, Andrew. His, that's not his actual name, but it's close and it's it's easier. Um, so I have a really close first personal friend. We grew up together. We've known each other since say middle school, and we actually both are both our owners of the escape room. So we work together on the escape room. As people will tell you, you don't want to go into business with your friends because of the opportunity to be able to you know create tension in your friendships. The situation came up where we were in a business position where we didn't have a lot of cash flow. And so we were kind of struggling, scraping to get by. Uh, we were doing okay, but we definitely needed, we've seen better times. Yeah. So what ended up happening is we needed to turn in some paperwork for some sort of grant or loan or something. I forget. My good friend, Andrew, was in charge of doing that and come to find out he didn't do it or he was late on doing it. We often have you know, meetings where we're meeting with the different parts of the company, you know, in, in front of a few people, I basically snapped at him and, mm. you know, told him he wasn't doing a good job. And I, I was definitely feeling very frustrated, very heated. Everyone, I think, was stressed out about the situation. You know, afterwards, of course, he turned in the paperwork. He's more than capable of, of filling out the forms and doing those things. You know, I didn't, I didn't offer to help. I didn't offer to, uh, you know, figure it out together. Really just snapped at him to, to do it. And after the fact, it wasn't until, until, or maybe a few days later, you know, and I was thinking about what sort of things were important to me. I realized that I was hurting my relationship with my really good friend for something that isn't necessarily trivial, could mean life or death of the business. But when I really thought about it, I realized I would much rather lose the business than to lose that friendship. You know, it took me maybe even a couple of months of realizing that, hey, we weren't we didn't have that great of a relationship um, after that point to reach out to him and talk to him about it and say, and told him that same thing. I said, Hey, with at the end of the day, I would rather have our friendship than to have this business. So that's, what's important to me. I have been I, since then we've been making sure that we maintain that friendship more than we maintain that business. And that's, that's been a really tough. Um, but yeah, that definitely was times when a, there's been more than one instance of that, I would say, where. <laughs> so do you, where, do you feel like you you acted in that way because there was a lot of pressure on you to perform really well? Probably. I think that's definitely a, a part of it where you feel that in the moment, the stakes are so high or the pressure is so high to, as you said, not necessarily perform, but to do the right thing at the right moment to get whatever result you want. In this case, it was to get money for the business so that we don't have to close. So, And that seemed really important at that time. But it wasn't until I stepped away from the situation when I realized, hey, this is not that important, right? Yeah. So it sounds like, for example, your, your previous motivation to get promoted and this venture to do the right thing for the business, the high stakes part of it. It sounds like you're very driven in those times. So back then, what do you think is motivating you to do those things? Back back when? Which, back which when point? you were chasing after title, the money, and yeah. being promoted and all. Some of it is, I'm sure, overlapping with what a large portion of the population feels. You know, When you're not making that much money, all that matters is making more money. Uh, I definitely, I come from a low income background. So growing up, achieving financial stability was a little bit of a North Star. You know, when you grow up poor, my mom raised me and my three other siblings by herself. You know, she's a single mom. We grew up with food stamps, free lunch at school, those sorts of things. And, and you don't realize as you're a kid, what sort of that low income means, because that's what you know. That's your context. You're a fish in the fishbowl and that's what you know. 
um, only when growing up and looking at the things that other people had and I didn't have, I realized, ah, yes, I am in the classification of, you know, mm-hmm. this definitely grew up near the poverty line. That definitely, along with needing to contribute to the family's finances, you know, means I would go to work at an early age. I think I started going to work when I was like 14 or something like that. And that really focused my attention and some of my personality uh, values into being able to provide financially. And so fast forward 10 years, maybe I'm 25. Those those first few years of my professional career were very much focused on being able to earn more, being able to do more and, and prove that I had that capability to in order to you know, bring that financial success and support to my family. I think that's a pretty common, to me, I believe that's a fairly common immigrant first generation story. You know, that, that's where some of that comes from. I'm sure there's other parts to it. For example, I've done a lot of personality tests. Some of them, a lot of them forced upon me at work, but um, I've pretty much done every personality test that's available. So one of the ones I really enjoy actually uh, is the Enneagram. And I'm sure you've heard of the Enneagram the one through nine personality types. So here's, here's for example, what I am. I'm a type three. The type three is the achiever. And, <laughs> you know, makes sense. So the, the achiever is very much achievement oriented, always looking for success and driven by the things that can succeed, but is also very much avoiding the opposite, which is failure. So trying to not look like a failure, trying to not dress like a failure, smell like a failure, everything that's involved with that. And I find that very true about myself. For example, as I learned through this in my forced upon me work assessment and coaching, a someone like me who's that personality type will spend an excessive amount of time on preparing for meetings, a presentation, et cetera. And I do. You know, oftentimes I'll stay up until midnight or one AM making sure that presentation is perfect that I have to give in the morning, that I know my lines, so to speak. In the morning, when I give the presentation, everyone loves it. And they, you know, they think, ah, you're a natural. When in reality, you know, I, I prepared seven hours for a 15-minute presentation. And so you're way over-preparing. So those are things I have to learn about myself and realize that I have a weak spot that I can't over-prepare for those things. I'm like a duck. The visual is a duck, mm-hmm. calm on the surface, feet flapping furiously under the water. And I oftentimes can burn myself out doing that. So those are the things I need to know about myself. So very much helpful. And it's a chicken or egg situation. Do my early life experiences create who I am now? Some of it, yes. Uh, But at the same time, those personality things will become reinforced as you work and put yourself into situations in which you can exercise your strengths, but your blind spots are still weaknesses. So to answer answer your question, why am I like that? Part of it is because of what's before, but also because of what I'm doing now works. So you keep doing it and then you keep pressing the same buttons. And then you get worse and worse and worse, or better, better, better. So after learning about the deeper motivations that have gotten you to where you are today, you have also identified weaknesses that are pulling you back. So how should we find alignment between those deep-rooted motivations and our next gig so that you know we can find longer-lasting success? Well, stay tuned for our next episode as we follow Long John's journey of self-discovery and how he found a sense of ease and a fiery drive for his next adventure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Challenger Podcast with Peter Gang. Longjohn showed us that helping others, having the humility to realize mistakes, and regularly doing self-introspection are hallmarks of being a strong, healthy, and a compassionate human being. If you're looking for your next gig, 
take some time to figure out your innermost important values, because these values will not only give you long-lasting motivation to succeed, but will also set you apart from the crowd. My conversation with Lanjiang was so in-depth and rich that I have a bonus episode just for digging into his experience about finding out your most important values. Remember, it's never too late to reflect back on the obstacles you've overcome, how much you've grown, and how much you have yet to do. We encourage you to take some time to prioritize your well-being and find your inner peace. Thank you for tuning in. Please comment and subscribe to the Challenger Podcast. Join us for the next conversation about challenges and triumphs in life.